Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. My name is John Leahy. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us this week. I truly appreciate it, as uh, I do every week. I'd like to thank my guest from last week, a good friend of mine who I've known a long time, Jesse Goldberg Strassler. Jesse is the radio voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, one of the Oakland A's affiliates, and he's a noted author. And I can't stress enough, uh, if uh, you are a sports lover and a language lover, I truly uh, urge you to pick up Jesse's books, The Baseball Thesaurus and The Football Thesaurus. It is an enrapturing read. And uh, it's helped me out as a broadcaster quite a bit. And it's not only helped me out, but it's helped uh, people at the professional level out. And uh, it is just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. And uh, I encourage you uh, to explore that if you're so inclined. My guest this week, uh, we were supposed to have on a good friend of mine, Dave McKay, who uh, is... uh, an individual who is heavily involved with an amateur baseball organization here in Boston, and it is the Yawkey League of Amateur Baseball, and there's a long, rich history uh, with the Yawkey League. Dave, unfortunately, was a little bit under the weather this week, so uh, we are going to try and get Dave in with us next week, so uh, I hope you can join us for that discussion. And in the meantime, uh, I thought that I would touch on uh, a the feelings I have from a documentary I just saw. It was uh, aired on the NBC network, and it was a documentary devoted to the life and career of Mike Doc Emmerich, who, as many of you know, uh, is uh, a legend in terms of his hockey broadcasting. Uh, he's been uh, on the national level for many years, did the New Jersey Devils for many years, And I feel compelled to talk about Mike Emmerich today uh, because in a lot of ways, uh, my career has been shaped by Mike. And uh, I just thought I'd talk a little bit about the documentary and uh, how special Mike is to my career. And if you have not seen the documentary yet, uh, it's called Doc Emmerich, The Voice of Hockey. It was produced by NBC, and uh, it uh, is available on demand. So uh, if you have DVR as part of your uh, television setup, um, you can simply go and do a search. And that's what I did. I I had heard about it. It was broadcast for the first time a couple of days ago. And fortunately, I was able to find the show on demand, and I watched it uh, tonight, tonight being Tuesday. And uh, I was just riveted absolutely riveted and not just not just because I'm a sports broadcaster I'm riveted uh, I was riveted watching the show uh, just because of uh, the depth of the type of human being Mike Emmerich was and is and I say was because of his uh, work in the broadcasting booth of course Mike stepped down but uh, you know he's uh, happily retired now living with his wife of 42 years and, and enjoying his post-broadcasting career. Uh, But the documentary had uh, so many things that I could identify with that I thought I'd just uh, take a few minutes today and talk about it and uh, talk about 
uh, you know, the respect and admiration I have for Mike and just kind of discussing a little bit about the parallels between his documentary and my career. So uh, I hope you'll enjoy it, and uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, why did I love the show so much? Well, you know, uh, I'm a broadcaster just like Mike is, of course, and a lot of the elements of the program I identified with uh, just because I've done broadcasting for so long, and it really struck a chord with me. Uh, you know, I, just like Mike, fell in love with the game of hockey uh, a long, long time ago. I would say for me, the love of the game started at the age of five uh, when I was uh, very young and, and, and in my formative years. I remember, uh, and I don't, I don't remember if I talked about this on a previous episode, but uh, please bear with me if I did, but um, my love for the game started uh, back in, I'd say, 1969 or 1970 when I was five, six years old, and uh, the Boston Bruins were, uh, you know, uh, having great success. Fred Cusick was doing the play-by-play -play for the Bruins, and I remember smuggling a small black-and-white TV under my blankets to watch a Bruins-Flyers playoff game at the Garden and praying that my father wouldn't uh, catch me with the TV after hours because I knew that it would get confiscated. And I just remembered I just had the volume on ever so slightly just so I could hear the tones of, of Fred calling the game. And that's really where it started for me. And I know for Mike, you know, he talks about the uh, environment he grew up in and, and how baseball was very important to him. And, uh, you know, he actually got to call a Pittsburgh Pirates game, I think, uh, a while back. And, uh, that, you know, that was a big thrill for him. But, you know, the documentary talked about, you know, when Mike was exposed to the game of hockey for the first time, and how he immediately fell in love with it. And it got me to thinking about, you know, how my love for the game was generated in a similar fashion. So I think in that regard, you know, we both have uh, that in common. And, uh, you know, I knew at a very early age, I knew I was destined to be a hockey announcer, just like Mike did. Uh, the only difference, really, is that, you know, Mike never deviated from the path of wanting to be a hockey announcer. I unfortunately did. You know, when I got into high school um, and then subsequently into college, there was a part of my brain that tried to dissuade me from going into broadcasting. And I came up with all these different excuses about, you know, why I couldn't do it or, or why it's impractical or you know, you get these mixed messages sometimes from people who have the best of intentions. And, you know, sometimes you internalize those messages and you act on them and they're not always in your best interest. You know, growing up, I remember hearing messages from my own parents saying, you know, uh, you know, you got to have that four year degree. You got to, you know, have that degree and you got to apply it to make money. And uh, I got all these messages which I internalized. And, you know, I did myself a little bit of a disservice because I didn't uh, follow through with what my actual dream was. And this was a dream that I knew about at, at that early age of six, seven, eight years old. I wanted to be a commentator, but I, I kind of buried those dreams, you know, based on those internal, uh, internalized messages that I gave myself. And it wasn't until the 
uh, age of 30 and that I, that I woke up. I woke up and I said, you know, this is what I was meant to do. I'm not happy doing what, I was, what I'm doing. I was working in mental health all throughout college, and uh, I worked in mental health for uh, about six or seven years after college, uh, and I got to a point where, as most people in mental health, uh, you know, experience, I experienced burnout. And I remember getting together with a very close friend of mine. And uh, in fact, he was on this podcast a while back, my good friend Ireland Shostak. I, I remember I was so stressed and, dis- and uh, depressed. I remember meeting him in a location to talk. And I just needed a friend to talk to. And I said, Ireland, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm miserable. I can't do this anymore. I've got to follow my heart. And I made the decision at the age of 30, going on 31, that I want to be a broadcaster. And, you know, I took the steps uh, to make that a reality, going to, to going to college, going to Connecticut School of Broadcasting, getting my feet in the door. Uh, and I was determined to make it happen under all circumstances. And of course, Mike had that same determination. And he just stayed with it consistently through his career. He had, um, you know, a great tenure at Bowling Green, which is where he got his Ph.D. And he still stays in touch with Bowling Green. Uh, the, the gentleman that's been doing the Bowling Green games over the last four years, uh, coincidentally enough, was an intern of mine at the Lowell Spinners, Ryan Vallon. So uh, it's, it's a joy to be able to keep in touch with Ryan and, and hear the stories uh, that uh, he's had with Mike Emmerich, and I know he's had a chance to interview Mike. But uh, I, I, So, you know, maybe I'm digressing here, but I want to just illustrate that the parallels uh, start there with the love of hockey, how it all started uh, so early in life. And I know we took different paths to get there, but, you know, that was the first thing uh, on the documentary that, that really struck me. Another thing that I noticed is something that I try and incorporate into my own broadcast is the preparation. Uh, if, you, if you watch the documentary, you got a sense of how detailed uh, Mike Emmerich was in his preparation, how he would leave no stone unturned, how he would uh, document everything right down to the last detail, you know, pages and pages of, of colored notes, uh, which uh, left... Uh, nothing to the imagination. There was there was everything uh, laid out for Mike in perfect detail, and it was hours and hours of painstaking preparation. You know, the morning skates, the talking to people, uh, the reading of newspapers. You know, there was a story Bill Clement related during the documentary of of how Mike would uh, he'd be at an airport and he would just buy reams and reams of newspapers and he would read every single note in those newspapers. And that is the level of detail that I try to strive for in my broadcast. For many years, I would carry an oversized spotting board with me to the rink. And if you're familiar with my website, which is johnrlahey.com, you can go on my website and you can see an example of the spotting board that I used uh, in hockey. And it in a lot of ways, it was similar to what Mike did. I, I used color coding to represent different types of information. 
And I tried to be as uh, painstakingly uh, accurate with the information as possible. I would compile everything. I, I tried to get everything right down to the player's favorite food, you know, and uh, there is no limit to your preparation as a broadcaster. I think that uh, you can't prepare enough, and you may only use uh, 20% or so of the information uh, that you gather, but I would rather over-prepare and not have to use the bulk of the information. But uh, if you want to sound credible, and that's a big, big thing with broadcasters, sounding credible, you've got to put the preparation in. And when I saw, you know, the amount of detail that Mike went into, it kind of validated, uh, in my mind, the amount of preparation that I've done. And, you know, another, another guy that's great in terms of preparation is Jack Edwards. And I've seen his level of detail as well. <clears throat> he uses... Uh, something along the lines of an Excel uh, type of document where he fills in every conceivable detail. And I love that. I'm a detail junkie. Uh, you know, not, uh, not only in terms of the stats, but I'm, I'm a detail junkie, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the mundane things, the things that, you know, our, our audience may not uh, pay attention to, you know. Uh, and so... That kind of uh, leapt out at me as I watched the documentary. You strive for that detail, uh, you know, not only in the amount of uh, prep work that you do, but in your play-by-play, you also want to strive for detail and description. And I talked about Kevin Harlan, who is one of my favorite broadcasters of all time, and how he uh, is just a master at providing descriptive detail uh, and, you know, just not just describing the play, but describing it in such a way that you can create a picture in your mind's eye. And so detail and preparation is huge for a broadcaster. And, uh, you know, if you wind up watching the Mike Emmerich special, if you haven't seen it already, you will see the level of detail. And uh, Bill Clement, uh, who was an analyst with Mike for many years, uh, talked about that level of detail. And uh, it, it really is something to see. And speaking of Bill Clement, there was a uh, segment during that um, documentary which talked about the uh, Easter Marathon between the New York Islanders and the Washington Capitals back in 1987. It was Game 7 of the uh, Patrick Division Finals. And there was a trip on the line to the next round of the playoffs. I believe the Philadelphia Flyers were waiting in the wings to see who the uh, opponent would be from that Islander Capital game. And uh, to make a long story short, that game went into four overtimes. And (laughs) during one of the intermissions, it was probably either the second overtime intermission or maybe even the third, uh, Bill Clement decided that that they were going to have a little bit of fun And uh, so Bill Clement wound up taking off his sport jacket, taking off his tie, taking off his uh, dress shirt. He had only a T-shirt on, and he had a tie, which he wound up wrapping around his head. And Mike and Bill uh, had a little humorous exchange during that intermission. Bill Clement wound up doing a couple of uh, celebrity impersonations. I know John Wayne was one of them. Uh, Bernie Boom Boom Jeffrey on was the other. And... uh, 
So they decided to have some fun uh, during that intermission, which, you know, I think is important during a broadcast. I think there has to be a certain element of humor which uh, you can inject into your broadcast, which, again, watching the documentary, that was uh, something that I identified with, something I certainly try and do, especially during uh, my baseball broadcast. But, uh, you know, the funny thing about that Easter marathon between the Islanders and the Capitals was that I actually uh, videotaped that entire game, and I did it uh, commercial-free. Back when VCRs were the rage, you know, you could pause the game when uh, you got to a commercial. You could uh, delete all the commercials and then hit pause again, and the broadcast would resume. The taping would resume. And I have that tape up in my attic somewhere. It's in a box somewhere. I have that Islander Capital four-overtime game, and I have that intermission, uh, of course, as part of it. And, uh, you know, watching that on the... Uh, documentary uh, kind of uh, reinforced uh, the idea that, you know, it's okay to have some fun on a broadcast, even though the ESPN truck uh, called them up, you know, after the intermission was over, after uh, Mike and Bill sent it back to the ESPN studios where Tom Meese was the studio host, God rest his soul. Uh, after they went back to the studio, uh, they got a call from the ESPN folks in the truck. They said, you know, uh, let's get the shirts put back on and whatnot. Uh, but that's, you know, that's a different uh, point than what I'm trying to make. Uh, I'm just trying to get to the sense that it's okay to have fun during a broadcast. And we, we forget that as broadcasters, don't we? We forget sometimes that what we're doing is fun. You know, we're like kids in a candy store. And uh, there are certain people that I've worked with over the course of my career uh, that have reminded me that it's okay to have fun during a broadcast. And so I think that's an important thing to mention. And, uh, you know, Bill Clement was, was worked with Mike for a long time. And, of course, Bill went on to do uh, his own commentary on the Philadelphia Flyers television network. Uh, but I thought that was an important thing to discuss, uh, you know, the fact that it is okay to have fun uh, during a broadcast. Another thing you notice about Doc is that, you know, he shines when, when the games are in their biggest moments, when the spotlight is the greatest. That's when Mike Emmerich is the greatest. And I think that's something that I've always tried to aspire to. I've always been of the belief in terms of my own career that the brighter the lights are, uh, the better I am and the better I strive to be. And I think back to uh, the... NCAA tournament game back in 2010, to this date, the only NCAA tournament game I have ever done. Merrimack was playing Notre Dame at the Verizon Wireless Arena in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I just remember the night before that game, which at that time was the biggest broadcast of my life. And still to this day, you know, I've been broadcasting for 26 years professionally now. And still to this day, I think that is one of the biggest and most important broadcasts I've ever done. And I remember the night before, uh, as I laid down to sleep, you know, I thought about how excited I was and how exciting that whole experience was. And I said to myself, I said, you know, this is, this is a big, big game. This is not like any other game you've done before. So the, the spotlight is brighter. So you have to be at your best. Now, when the puck dropped, 
I, I didn't have that frame of mind. When the puck dropped for the opening faceoff, I immediately thought, this is just another game. This is no different from the high school games I did back in 1995. So I guess there were two different thought processes there. The, the thought going into uh, leading up to the game, I was thinking, you know, of the magnitude of it and how I have to be at my best. But when the puck was actually dropped, I got into the mode of, hey, just treat it like it's any other game. But I really feel that it is important to always be your best and bring your best. And I think that is certainly true when the spotlight is great. When the game is on the line, you have to be your best. And Mike Emmerich has always been his best. And he's had plenty of opportunities uh, to uh, be in those types of situations. With all the NHL Stanley Cup Finals uh, games that he's done over his career, and you notice that Mike is just like a fine wine. The more, uh, the more he went on, the greater he got. And that is something that I particularly try and uh, strive for. Obviously, the most important thing that I took away from the documentary was the compassion that he showed toward other people. You know, Mike mentioned that there were a lot of people, when he was starting out, there were a lot of people that went out of their way to help him and, and get his foot in the door and get him going in broadcasting. There was a story about a gentleman who uh, was doing play-by-play -play, uh, for an Indianapolis team and uh, a, a semi-pro team, that uh, a pro team, I should say, that he wound up uh, doing games for 63 years uh, for this team. And he got Mike in the door and... Uh, gave a lot of instruction, a lot of support uh, to Mike Emmerich, and he never forgot that. Mike made the point uh, during the documentary that he never forgets and he never forgot the people that gave him encouragement along the way. And it is a trait that he has internalized and a trait that he continued to practice, giving back to anyone who asked, giving back, answering questions, being accessible. You know, it's, let's face it, sometimes broadcasting is, is an ego-driven business, right? Sometimes, you know, people have a tendency to think, hey, here I am, look at me. But Mike Emmerich is not that way. He is devoted and was devoted to uh, helping anyone who asked, even if he didn't know the person. Uh, and I'll give you a perfect example of that. I reached out to Mike Emmerich a couple of years ago uh, because I wanted to ask him if he would consider recording a promo for us on our Merrimack College men's hockey broadcast. It's a uh, routine that I've tried to con continue over the last couple of years. But Mike Emmerich was the first person that I reached out to uh, to uh, help me with this. Now, keep in mind, I've never met Mike Emmerich, uh, and I'm sorry that I haven't. But I did a little groundwork and research 
And I'd like to give a shout out to John Chelesnick at STAA who kind of helped me along in this uh, process. STAA, of course, stands for Sportscasters Talent Agency of America, which I am a longtime um, uh, client of. But anyway, uh, I did a little groundwork and a little research, and I found uh, Mike's address. And I originally thought about emailing Mike, and I did send Mike an email after I discovered what his email address was. I sent him an email, and there was no response. And, and my feeling is that the only reason there was no response is because it was, it was Mike's busy season. He was on the road and didn't have a chance to get to it. So I did a little bit more digging, and I found Mike's uh, home address. So I wrote him a letter, and I said, Mr. Emmerich, I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been watching you for decades. I explained who I was and, and the uh, job I was doing for Merrimack College Men's Hockey. And I asked him, you know, would you consider uh, recording a promo for us? And I got an email back from Mike with the MP3s attached. And, uh, you know, he did the commercial for us. Uh, and certainly he didn't have to, didn't know me from a hole in the wall. But that was Mike Emmerich's personality. That was That is his way of going about life. And he was gracious enough to record the commercial for me. We still use it to this very day. I play it during the first intermission of every Merrimack game that we do. And so I, I bring this up to illustrate the compassion that Mike shows. And uh, if you watch the documentary, you will see how much, just how much he has given back to other people. Another thing that you notice about Mike, and I am blown away by this, is the language of the game that he has mastered. You know, I have a uh, printout of all of the adjectives that Mike has uh, developed over the years to describe the movement of the puck. It's four pages long, and it is something unique that you will not hear from certainly any other broadcaster. In terms of the depth of the words and the language that he goes into, you won't hear anything like it. Uh, you, you'll hear words like uh, uh, frittered on a head, jackknifed up on a head, angled, glided. Uh, and I talked about this a little bit on a previous broadcast. But, and this goes back to the point that I made at the top of this podcast when we talked about Jesse Goldberg Strassler, about uh, how many different uh, ways there are to describe what you see. And, of course, Jesse touched on it uh, in baseball and football. But Mike Emmerich uh, did it like no one other. No one has ever done it in hockey. And, you know, I try to incorporate that into my own broadcasts. You know, I'll never be as good as Mike uh, was in that regard. But, you know, you talk about the ability he has to paint the picture. And, you know, he's on TV, which, um, or he was on TV, which, uh, you know, you, they say less is more on television. You know, you don't have to be as descriptive on television as you are on radio. However, you know, the way that uh, Mike describes the movement of the puck is just legendary. And you combine that with the stories that he tells. You don't think of hockey, by the way, as being a sport where you can be a storyteller as a broadcaster. Certainly in baseball, that's what that sport is uh, 
uh, all about in terms of broadcasting. You have to tell stories because of the pace of the game. But, you know, Mike is so uh, detail-oriented and so uh, knowledgeable in terms of the information he gathers, he can't help but come out there with the stories. And I think the combination of those two things, the stories and the language that he uses uh, to describe the movement of the puck, it's just legendary. So that's not a takeaway I had uh, from uh, the documentary. Just the effects he's had on others who have worked with him. You know, there are scores of people uh, in that documentary that talked about uh, just what type of a person he is and, and the effect that he's had on them. You know, people like Catherine Tappan, who uh, has carved out a wonderful career for herself at uh, NBC. You know, you talk about a guy like Al Michaels. Now, Al Michaels uh, is as legendary a broadcaster as has ever walked this earth. He's still my favorite football broadcaster of all time. And, of course, Al, had, Al cut his teeth on the hockey broadcasting with the 1980 Winter Olympics over there in uh, Lake Placid when uh, the U.S. upset the Russians, of course, the miracle on ice. But, uh, you know, and Al talked about how uh, they asked him to do uh, the Vancouver Olympics and, uh, you know, because he, it was 10 years removed from when Al himself had that great moment at Lake Placid. But, uh, you know, Al turned him down. He said, look, you know, Mike Emmerich uh, can do the game uh, much better than I, and he's available, so you should go with him. Uh, but there are so many people, you know, players as well. Martin Brodeur, who uh, had a great career in New Jersey, of course, a Hall of Fame career with the Devils. Mike did the Devils for many years. And, uh, you know, Martin Brodeur, Wayne Gretzky had uh, many great things to say about him. And his broadcast partners, we talked about Bill Clement earlier, Eddie Olchick, who uh, had a lot in common with uh, Mike as they both battled cancer. And, you know, I'll get to that in a moment, too. But uh, it's just the effects that Mike has had on the people that he's worked with is, is just incredible. And it kind of puts things in perspective for me. And I start to think, well, you know, I hope that I also uh, will try to have a similar effect or have a similar effect on the people I work with. Uh, you know, the relationships you forge with people are so important. One of my favorite books of all time is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And if you look at Mike Emmerich, you know, he seems to embody all those qualities without even, uh, without even trying. So uh, that was another takeaway that, uh, that I got from the documentary. It's just uh, the compassionate nature of the man and how uh, he's had such a brilliant effect on other people. He had the cancer battle. Uh, Mike went through a, a very, very uh, tough situation in, in which he was, uh, they detected cancer, they, they located cancer, and they, they uh, were able to, to get Mike in, and they got that problem remedied. And, and I'm sure that uh, that really helped Mike put a lot of things into perspective. And, you know, when Eddie Olchick, his uh, color commentator on NBC, went through the same thing, Mike was there for him every step of the way. He'd been through it, and he was there to provide uh, loving support as a friend. So, you know, keeping things in perspective, I think, is important. Nothing will put things in perspective more than a health scare, particularly cancer. And so... Um, the fact that Mike has gone through that and, and come through it and uh, been such a great source of support for others, uh, that just speaks volumes 
uh, to the kind of person he is and the kind of person that, that I also strive to be. Uh, when you talk about keeping things in perspective, too, you talk about Mike's marriage, which uh, Mike has been married to his wife for 42 years now. And let me tell you something. If you are a spouse of a broadcaster or an athlete, it is very, very difficult. It's a very difficult life. It is uh, not a good fit for everyone. Not a fit for everyone. Uh, my wife is a perfect example of this. We were separated for three years because of sports. I was in the Midwestern part of the country doing baseball in Kalamazoo, Michigan and Florence, Kentucky. We were apart for three summers. And I can only imagine how difficult that was for her. And, you know, I always, as a source of uh, uh, advice for people that want to get into this industry, I always tell them, uh, if you're going to have a uh, spouse or a supportive a significant other, make sure they understand what they're getting into in terms of a grind. It is not an easy life for a spouse. Now, I'm in a position in my career now where I'm local. Uh, I don't have, we don't have those uh, travel and separation demands that we've had in the past. So uh, that's not something that's particularly an issue now. But my point is that Mike, uh, with doing games and being on the road for 40-plus years, you know, he mentioned that uh, it was 5,000 days away from his wife over the course of his career. Now, that's a lot of sacrifice. That's a lot of sacrifice for a spouse to make. And Mike made the point that, you know, he got to the point where he realized that the time had come to spend time with the woman that has sacrificed so much. And, you know, we all get to a point where we think about making decisions about our careers, you know, especially if we've done it for a long period of time. But, you know, that lesson taught to me the importance of keeping things in perspective. If, you know, we talked about the cancer battle, that's the most important thing, the health. But there's another component to uh, keeping things in perspective, you know, your family life. And uh, so that is something that, that Mike had to consider. And that's the reason he stepped down. And it's something that I always keep in mind and never uh, take for granted. So uh, just those are just some basic takeaways that I had. You know, I remember, too, I, I, I talked about the comedic routine that Mike had with Bill Clement during that four-overtime game uh, between the Islanders and the Capitals. But I'm reminded, too, you t uh, getting back to humor in, the, in uh, broadcasting and the ability to not take things so lightly. Uh, I remember Mike did a segment where he was doing play-by-play -play of uh, some sandwich makers at a famous sandwich shop in Pittsburgh called Primanti's. And I've had the chance to dine there myself. I've been to Pittsburgh many times, and I've had the chance to eat there. But uh, they were doing a segment, and I'm not sure if it was connected to a game broadcast, but they were doing a segment where the sandwich maker was uh, constructing these Primanti Brothers sandwiches. And Mike was there, and he was doing play-by-play -play of the sandwich maker making the sandwich. And, uh, you know, that just goes to the point of, you know, keeping it light and having fun. Vin Scully, 
I remember uh, once Vin was on one of those late-night talk shows. I can't remember who the host was, but uh, he asked Vin if he would do some play-by-play, which spotlighted this particular guest host. And, of course, Vin being the uh, ultimate consummate professional, you know, he was able to um, do some play-by-play. But, uh, you know, seeing that uh, really kind of... uh, again, underscored the point of having fun and and being able to practice, really, uh, any chance you get to do play-by-play. Another thing that Mike was was great about was his enthusiasm, uh, his continued enthusiasm uh, for women in the business. He has been such a great friend and a great mentor to many females who have been in the business. Catherine Tappan is probably the most qualified to speak on this topic, and she certainly had uh, her opinions of uh, and val- of uh, of Mike's uh, ability to help and his ability to give back. Mike's done so much for uh, females in the business, and that is something that he and I have a strong, strong opinion about. We agree on it so much. I- I've had the pleasure, the distinct pleasure, to interview over the last couple of weeks, uh, two women who have been great in college hockey in terms of broadcasting, uh, Natalie Nuri of UNH and uh, also Sonny Watrous in Providence. And it was just such a thrill to have both of them on. And it's a thrill to be able to promote and advance uh, the uh, concept of women in uh, broadcasting. I really think there are some incredibly talented women out there that deserve to be uh, in the spotlight. You know, you look at uh, Beth Mowens, who's done some great work uh, doing uh, NFL play-by-play. Of course, uh, Doris Burke uh, of ESPN, who's done uh, great work with ESPN and basketball. There's there's no more knowledgeable uh, woman uh, on the planet that knows as much basketball than Doris Burke, but I think it's important to recognize and value uh, the contributions that uh, women have made in the industry. And uh, I I just have to take my hat off to Doc uh, for uh, the way that he has conducted himself in terms of uh, advancing women in the business. And it's something that I will continue to do with great pride and great pleasure. So uh, uh, that's another thing that I feel that we have in common. And I just want to wind up the podcast here uh, with... A couple of uh, other notes here. I'd like to give a shout out to one of my classmates, uh, one of my high school classmates. Uh, Her name is Stephanie Shula, and she left a a note on my Facebook wall uh, on Sunday, Uh, and she was watching the documentary and uh, when it aired for the first time. And she made a post on my wall saying that she, as she was watching it, she couldn't help think of me and uh, the concept of, of sports broadcasting and how much she appreciated Doc Emmerich. But the fact that, that she would, that I would actually cross her mind when she was uh, watching this documentary, uh, I just want to thank her for that. And, and it kind of validates it further validates my love for the business. And I, Stephanie's a great uh, sports athlete herself, and I'm sure she's watched a lot of games 
over the years, and there are many, many broadcasters that I'm sure she's been exposed to watching games. But for her to think of me uh, while that uh, uh, documentary was being presented, uh, that, that meant a lot to me. So I, I wanted to thank Stephanie uh, for that. And uh, it's, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the little things. You know, it's the little things. It's, it's, it's giving back, and it's the little things. And uh, being able to, to, be a, to be a part and seeing that uh, documentary uh, was special. And uh, I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share my thoughts on a gentleman who has been a great role model for me. And, and it's sad for me that I won't get, him, get to see him call any more games. But um, I, I really, uh, I'm really... I really feel strongly about uh, Mike Emmerich and, and being able to see that uh, documentary uh, touched, it really touched home for me in, in many, many ways. And uh, having the ability to, to talk about it here on the podcast uh, was very special. Uh, I just wanted to uh, give a couple of more quick uh, little tidbits here before we sign off. Uh, I've done some work on my website, which I'm very proud of, and I'd like to invite you all to uh, check it out. Anyone who uh, would like to stop by, uh, I'd be very grateful. JohnRLahey.com is the name of the website. I've done a lot of updating to the website over the last week. I've added some uh, features on music, which is another big part of my life. Uh, I've added a feature on podcasting right here, uh, a link to the podcast. And I've also updated my uh, website with uh, my audiobook narration career, which is just getting started. Uh, and I hope to be uh, narrating some audiobooks in the very, very near future. And I also added a, a uh, segment in the preparation part of my uh, website. I added a segment on uh, the memory systems that I use in broadcasting, and that is a topic that I touched on a long time ago on the podcast. But if you want to see a visual rep representation of the memory system that I use, I invite you to stop by and check that out at johnrlahey.com. So uh, I think that's pretty much going to take care of the podcast for this week. Uh, next week, again, uh, I hope to be chatting with a longtime friend of mine. We're going to be talking some amateur baseball next week, and we're going to be talking about talking with the man who has his footprint all over the Yaki League of Boston, which is the premier amateur baseball league you'll find anywhere. It's been around forever. And we'll talk some great baseball with Dave. Dave McKay is a big, big Red Sox fan, so we'll get his thoughts on the upcoming season. We'll get his thoughts on the Yaki League. We'll introduce the Yaki League to you. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work. You know, that's another thing. I've done a lot of broadcasting with the Yaki League over the years, uh, way, way back in my early days. Uh, we did a lot of work doing games for the Yaki League on uh, uh, Comcast in the Boston area, so that's a that is a very very uh, important part of my background and history. So we'll get you up to speed on that, and so I invite you to stay with us next week. Dave McKay uh, is our scheduled guest. So thank you so much for uh, spending some time here on the podcast with me, and uh, also oh before I forget, yes, one last thing I I would like to also encourage folks uh, to explore my cameo page. You go to cameo.com uh, backslash John slash Leahy, and uh, I can give you uh, customized video shout-outs for any occasion. Uh, 
I can also uh, make you the star of the game. I can do play-by-play, -play, making you the star. Uh, we can have all kinds of musical shout-outs. I got the uke, I got the guitar. I can, I can do uh, any any uh, customized shout-out you you like, and it's extremely extremely affordable, uh, and uh, it's something that I enjoy very much. And I would be honored if you'd consider exploring that. And if you do choose to uh, consider booking me on Cameo, I can promise you that. Uh, I will certainly make it worth your while. And there are ratings up on the Cameo website. There are ratings. You can rate. Uh, people that you do a Cameo for can rate you from 1 to 5. And I think if you check my, my ratings page, uh, you'll see that uh, people have been pretty happy with the stuff that I've been putting out there. So if that's something that uh, might interest you, please feel free to check it out at Cameo.com. And if you go to my website as well, JohnRLehy.com, uh, you can see uh, all that stuff right there, and uh, feel free to check it out. So thanks again for stopping in. I truly appreciate it. Have a great week, and next week, feel free to join us. Dave McKay from the Yockey League will be our special guest. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.